Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking to Bill Smith, who farms up in Speyside, Scotland, and Amy Watkins, Sustainability Project Manager for Agri. Today, we'll be asking some key questions concerning the topical issue of understanding how we can adopt ways of farming in an environmentally sustainable way that will help the environment, our crop production output and farm business sustainability. So firstly, good morning to you both. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, Tony. Good morning to you. And it's great to have you with us. It really is. I'm looking forward to this podcast. Really am. So, uh, Bill, tell us to start off with whereabouts exactly is Speyside? Yeah, we're up in the, the right at the north of Speyside, and uh, where are we? We're at Falkenburgh, so we're right at the mouth of the River Spey, which, for people who want to look at a map, we're pretty much halfway between Inverness and Aberdeen on the A96 road. So it's, um, yeah, we're very coastal, very low-lying. I think we're about 50 feet above sea level, and where we are today is just pretty much bowling green flats with the, the hills round about us. So no, it's a, it's a really nice, really beautiful place to be, and it's kind of farm, you kind of walk, Walk out in the morning, you kind of pinch yourself every now and again just to make sure you are you're not asleep, kind of thing. So no, it's nice. In terms of the soil types, um, paint that picture. What sort of soils do you have on your farm? Uh, we farm in three different locations. Um, we vary from uh, blow away sand, uh, very fine grainy grainy land, um, to kind of more sandy loam. It's, I wouldn't describe. I once described it, described it as heavy to a Vaderstad salesman, and he just laughed at me. Said you don't, you boys don't know what you're talking about. You're this is this is lad's country you're in. It's not man's country. So it's um, so no, we're um, we kind of plow and press everything at the moment. So once the furrow press has been through it, you you would generally just be ready to sow. Sure. And your your core crop is spring barley for the maltsters. That's right, is it? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our our farming business revolves around um, pigs, cattle, sheep, and. What we're interested about today is the, the spring barley in the crops. So we grow about 800 acres of spring barley uh, for the local malting industry. That The last few years, that has all been the, the variety Laureate. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's been fine. It's, uh, it's a big seller in our area, and there's a big demand for it. And it suits the spring cropping and spring barley. It suits our climate in our area. And the straw off of the the barley enterprise all goes back in through the pigs and the cattle, comes back out as dung to go back in. So, yeah, the system, one one enterprise bounces off the other and hopefully it gets to the end of the year and it's worked kind of thing. So, no, it's good. And and for you, Amy, um, tell us a little bit about the project you're working on right now. Um, interestingly, well, some, on some of the stuff that Bill's mentioned, you know, around the soil soil stuff that he's been doing, um, I've noticed from conversations with him that we've had earlier about some of the questions that are being asked by farmers. Um, it's a part of this, specifically part of the farmer network, actually. Um, all trying to understand, um, they all really understand what they need to do um, and where they need to be five or ten years down the line. But it's actually how do you get there? And that's some of the biggest challenges that I think um, a lot of farmers are going to be facing over the next few years with the change of um, legislation. Um, we're obviously getting a lot more challenges with the weather that we're seeing. Um, so a lot of my work really is around trying to help um, people understand how what the changes look like. Um, also, amongst everybody else within Agri, not just myself, but how we can start making these changes and how that also doesn't affect things like profitability um, and enhance the environment as much as possible. 
So one of the one of the main topics at the moment seems to be obviously around carbon. I think this was mentioned on one of the previous podcasts. We did quite a lot in terms of soils and carbon. Um, it always ramps up and it is even more now since COPs happened in the past two weeks. Um, interested in how we can become net zero and actually trying to demonstrate how much farmers are part of the climate solution rather than actually just being a net emitter. So obviously we have our emissions associated with the industry, but it's actually trying to demonstrate some of the amazing practices that our farmers do and how that can become part of the climate solution for the wider country and other industries that we see. Um, so that's one of the, the main point, the main areas of focus, really, and obviously how that ties in with soil health and how we can be managing our soils to really enhance that as much as possible. Brilliant. And again, Amy, we'll, t- we'll come back to some of what you've just mentioned there, particularly in terms of how we can all learn from each other and share that information. I know that's a key part of your work. So, Bill, just thinking about the practicalities on farm, and you talked about the use of uh, mulches uh, and how farmers were seeing that and, and really interested as to how that was working. You talked about a green winter when we spoke earlier. Yeah. What actually is that? What are you doing on your farm? Um, I think it's just a phrase I picked up out of a magazine at one point before. And what we try to do is just have all our barley stubbles re-drilled going into the wintertime. Um, and that just means having everything either sown out in stubble turnips for the cattle and sheep or um, into mulch crop. Or we can uh, get another proportion sown down into young grass, um, which just kind of keeps our grass rotation going. And therefore, if possible, and the weather allows, that's what our, our green winter is. Just our whole farm is kind of green going into the winter. But, ve- but very soon we'll need to um, we'll need to start ploughing, and then we'll have that bit of brown period kind of thing anyway. But uh, but no, that's kind of what we like to think of green winter. Uh, we don't achieve it all the time, James. You know, one year and five maybe kind of thing. Um, you can uh, you can achieve it, but it's nice when you do. But it, it certainly creates a lot more work at harvest time. But it feels like the right thing to be doing anyway. Sure. And you talked about uh, how your farm has a mixed farm approach with livestock. Uh, are livestock grazing those those stubbles or at the end of the winter? We we have changed our kind of cattle system around. We went from back to more of the traditional breeds, Aberdeen Angus um, and Lincoln Reds, away from the continental cementals, just so we can outwinter out cattle better. Um, so that... <clears throat> It just kind of helps reduce the cost on the cattle side. So the cattle will graze a good proportion of the stubble turnips that we grow, which then helps the barley because they're grazing out in the fields and they fertilise the fields as they're eating along. And then we get a better crop of barley off the back of it on the on the light on the light sandy ground. Um, there, the stubble turnips are generally grown on the the blow away sand kind of ground um, because that's where the cattle are best outwintered. The the mulch crops which we have are fodder radish and white mustard. We grow that at eight kilos a hectare. Um, and we get the seed from our local um, agri guy, Andrew. And we just direct drill them into the stubbles with the Vaderstad grain drill. And we just we just leave them. And then they just kind of, they come away themselves and what grows, grows. And if we get a favorable, a favorable climate, a favorable autumn, yeah, they'll be, they'll, they'll get to like, the best parts of mustard will get to three feet high. Kind of thing but you know but then the poor parts don't get me wrong the poor parts will be like three inches high you know so it's not you know it's not all it's not all brilliant but kind of that works the good thing with the, the the mulch crops is it really highlights the good bits and the bad bits of your field 
because they're all the field's all drilled in the same day. There's no fertilizer, so it's really just down to Mother Nature. There's a lot of things going on there, Bill. Um, Amy, what what are you noticing that other people are doing in other parts of the country? Are they similar in their approach to Bill, or are you seeing that every farm approach is different? What are you seeing? We're seeing a lot from our tour of the farmer network that David Trouse and myself did um, over spring and summer this year. Unfortunately, we haven't made it up to Bill's yet. Um, we're hoping to do that at some point. I think we'll have to take a holiday to go up. <laughs> I know, it's it, he's really selling it to us and I think we're going to have to go up to the north of Scotland, have a, have a lovely week looking around at Bill's farm. But um, no, so well, we are really seeing a number of different approaches being taken on these farms. Um, Obviously, a lot of guys are focused on soil health, soil management, um, but how they actually tackle that and approach that is considerably different. Obviously, with the different variable challenges, geographical challenges that they have um, and their systems. So a lot of people, um, there's a lot of questions around things such as composting and the addition of organics. And obviously, with the change again in legislation that we're seeing at the moment, how that's going to look um, over the next few years, are we going to still be able to be using these products um, it might be different for you, Bill, up, up in Scotland, you might be seeing something a bit different. But in England specifically, a lot of farmers are being challenged by that. Um, so that's something that the use of organics and composting and trying to build organic matter is something that is almost consistent as possible throughout. Um, in terms of actually, you know, cover cropping, there's um, massive amounts of differences. Again, some people really struggle to get cover crops up. Um, other people are finding it a, a massive part of their system that has really helped in terms of creating a good till seabed, um, improving organic matter. Um, and then we go to another part of the country where they're really on heavy land, um, suffer with rainfall and they just can't can't get a cover crop out of the ground. So they're all trying to do the similar sort of things. They've all got their own challenges um, and they're all heading towards the same sort of goal. So whether that be in terms of trying to improve organic matter levels, trying to move towards a direct drilled system and away from the plough um, and how they're getting there is considerably different, which was really insightful to see. And I found that through a number of different projects that we've been involved with. Um, is it simple? Is it painless? Have I got that right? It's... It's not simple. Oh, it is. The theory is simple. You come to harvest time and it's like, it's like whose who's damn idea was this? And I think our best achievement this year was when we managed to get, you know, a certain acreage. It went from spring back, the combine, standing spring barley back into mulch and in, I think it was 24 hours. Um, so that was kind of, yeah, I was quite chuffed with that. But I think it's a kind of, it's a kind of job when you're sowing, still drilling mulch at two o'clock in the morning. And it's not actually a cash crop and you can't really remember coming out the field because you're basically asleep you're like you've kind of got to feel that you're doing the right thing kind of thing you know it's um and it is it's the theory simple but i suppose it's a lot of hard work just sitting in tractors for longer than you maybe need to okay so so amy from your perspective from what you're seeing also elsewhere how's how straightforward is it to start to make some changes which can have a significant impact in terms of where we're trying to go? Well, whenever um, somebody asks, any farmer or agronomist asks where they can start in this process on this on this journey, um, I always say that you can't start without knowing where you're starting from. Um, so that's a guide in terms of 
getting some baseline data, um, having a look, for example, at your soil organic matter levels. Um, if you're interested in working towards net zero, have a look at the tools that are available out there. It's, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You can put your data in, which isn't um, a five minute job, but you can start from somewhere. Um, so that's almost the first step, I'd say, to anybody in trying to understand where you're starting from and how much room for improvement you've got and where to focus your efforts, particularly, because you could, there's a whole host of things that you can start with. But knowing where, um, where what areas of the farm you can be focusing on um, is a really good starting point. Sure. So, Bill, just coming back to you. From your point of view as a farmer, are you starting to see some financial benefits on farm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what we're doing um, on the farm, what we're doing with agri and the mulch and everything, I think, no, it is, it is coming through. It's a, it's a long-term game. The mulch and any soil improvement is a long-term game. Always describe it, as, say to someone, and it gets a laugh, always say, look, you don't go to the gym once and come out with a six-pack. You know, you've got to kind of keep at it for a long time and then you know then one day you'll come out of the gym and you'll be feeling quite ribbed so it's the same idea as the soil health you've got to keep at it for five years seven years plus you know and then then it'll slowly come around and but the difference is we are seeing on our blow away sand the wind now the wind does have to get stronger now before it starts moving and i think that's just down to there's just more body in the ground there's more organic matter there just holding the surface together but um but no no it, the, the improvements are there and the crops are improving. We don't drought, we don't burn as quickly on a, a dry year. And on a wet year, we don't get as wet or we don't stay as wet for as long, generally because there's more pores in the soil and the, the drainage is being helped. And just clarify what you meant then, you don't get as quick a burn. What do you actually mean by that? Um, below, we have about 18 inches of topsoil, or, or we're really we're really dry, and below us is kind of white sand or sand and gravel. So it's like when the, the barley crop just droughts out. Um, 2018 was a really bad year, a really dry year for us. Um, and the barley just basically stopped growing. Uh, that's what I mean. It was just basically a drought and when it burns. And then it basically it gets so hot and dry that everything shrivels up. Sure. That's, you know, and that's the kind of problem we get. But now we have a little bit more body in the ground. So we can take a little bit more extreme weather before we get into, a, you know, the burning up and the drought situation. Yeah, thank you, Bill. That that makes absolutely perfect sense, and it's what I'm hearing from other other growers as well. This this issue with the variability in the climate that we're we're seeing at the moment. Um, Amy, um, what financial benefits do you think farmers can start to look for? So Bill's alluded to it a bit already, actually, in terms of new income streams that can become available. Obviously, it's very early days yet, particularly around carbon, um, but there will be different ways of earning money from what we're used to. That's one um, area that we can be looking at and just got to keep our eyes open at the moment and be scanning the market for what's available. Also, in terms of reduced costs, as of we've already mentioned and Bill's started to say about, you know, moving away from the plough based system, trying to reduce your, your um, tractor hours, essentially, um, that can be something that we can be looking at. And also with fertiliser costs, knowing how much you've got available um, to try and reduce how much you're applying and really target it as much as possible can ultimately help reduce costs as well. So I see it as two main areas, really, um, new income streams and also what's currently um, happening on the farm. Uh, Amy, uh, I know you've got some initiatives and you were talking about one just now on a, it was it a WhatsApp group, but how people are sharing information. Well, how, how are you uh, facilitating that? 
Uh, well, obviously, with the Pharma Network, it's still early days at the moment, and we're just trying to really, um, you know, get people t- discussing and talking about what they're doing. And the fact that David and I have gone around and seen this in person has really helped with that. Um, it has just been WhatsApp groups to date, purely because we haven't caught up with each other since COVID's all kicked off. But it's something that we'd lo- like to do in terms of doing, you know, farm farm days, whether it be a soils day, whether it be something specific around um, something that the farmers are interested in, trying to get them all in the same place. For the wider group, um, obviously, things are so much easier nowadays. We've got so many platforms to be just talking about this stuff on. So, I mean, I know Twitter is a really big advocate at the moment and everybody's talking on Twitter. Uh, We've got so many forums, so many spaces that people can be sharing their ideas. Um, And I I think it's a great potential for somebody to learn in the space that they could be learning over a five year period to really try and reduce that down to more learning in a three year period just by learning on what people on a similar soil type, similar climatic challenges, for example, um, and similar availability of of kits and everything else can be learning from that and what they can be doing and also almost reduce that time frame that they're making mistakes or learning because you do learn from mistakes but trying to reduce that can um, be helped by the channels that are available at the moment that really makes sense to me amy so what you're saying in part is that actually by sharing information we can actually achieve some shortcuts in terms of getting that experience and learning from others uh bill coming back to you what would be your top tips to other growers wherever they're farming? I, th- I think just kind of keep an eye on what's happening out there. You know, you know, speaking to people like Amy and Agri, keeping an eye on what's in the press and just thinking, would that suit my system? And then just just try something, you know, just if someone once said, if you're if you're not failing, you're not learning, kind of thing. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with trying something and failing, you know. But even when you fail, you, you learn something, you know, you learn something what to do the next time. And I think it's just just try something. If you want to try it, just try it. Just scratch that itch and just kind of just go for it. And if it all fails, at least you'll give the guys in the pub something to talk about. So, it'll be, you know, someone wins somewhere. <laughs> I think that is perfect advice, Bill. The best advice we've actually had, I think, on a podcast, which is, you know, Give it a go. Try it out. Fantastic. And Amy, from your perspective, what would be your sort of call to action for other growers and agronomists out there listening to this podcast? Yeah, it's, it's very similar to Bill's, really. There's a lot of noise at the moment and it's causing a lot of questions. Um, a lot of people are asking questions. What do I need to be worried about? What what do I need to do now? What don't I need to do? I just give give it a go, whatever it is you're interested in knowing. Um, the topic of carbon is very heated at the moment. Um, what can I be looking at? How can I sell my carbon? As a starting point, just have a look at some of the tools. Just have a play with them. As I mentioned, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, just have a play, see what you what comes out at the end of it. Uh, and don't you know keep an eye out on things that are happening far further afield in terms of selling carbon. But at this stage, it is just important to make sure we've got all the data in the right places. Um, so that data collection element is also very important as well, I think, at the moment. Well, thank you, Bill, and thank you, Amy, for sharing your insights on how we can learn from each other, moving forward with these approaches towards a greener horizon. Uh, That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. Tramlines has received over 3,000 downloads, and it'd be great to see you back here again. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.